So in Matthew 21, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus, we just welcome you here this morning. Father God, we just thank you that... You sent your son. And Jesus, that you came and that you walked among us. And Lord, I thank you that you are our king. But Father, today I pray that you would show us even more of who you are. That we would not be comfortable in our relationship with you, but that we would long to know the depths of who you are. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We ask that you would open our eyes. We ask that you would open our ears to let us hear. And God, that we would respond. So, Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know about you, but how many, I'd love to see a couple hands. How many of you have maybe had an experience where you're trying to explain something to somebody else and it is taking way too long and you're like banging your head against the wall, not sure how to explain this in any other way or any other terms. And finally, the person that you're talking to, it's like, oh, Well, of course. Why didn't you just say this? And you're like, seriously? Have any of you had those experiences? Okay, so like we've all had those experiences or we've all had those experiences where we've looked at different pictures. We've seen that that picture where it's like, do you see the old woman or do you see the young woman? Or we've maybe seen this picture where it's, um, what, what do you see? Do you see a rabbit or do you see a duck? What do you see, right? And, and you can almost start to argue, no, it's a rabbit, no, it's a duck, and yet you're both exactly right. It just is dependent on your perspective. You're, saying, you're seeing the same thing, and yet you're seeing it from different, different angles. You know, it's funny, on Friday, I was quickly just scanning through Facebook, that horrible time scan time killer, right? And I'm just going in and I see this quick little meme and it's of these two guys looking at a number between them and they both have these conversation bubbles and in one it says the number six and the other it says the number nine and you don't have to read much farther and it's like, okay, there's going to be a little bit of a conflict and maybe an argument saying, no, it's this, no, it's this. Well, they're both right. They're just looking at it from different ways. You know, we all have these experiences in communication sometimes when we're trying to explain something and you're both right, you're just seeing it from a different perspective. You know, for, uh, and even in, yeah, I guess even sometimes when we're trying to explain somebody or describe somebody to another person, it's really difficult to describe who that person is if we only know a little bit about that person. It's hard to describe 
who this person is when we don't know them. You know, it's funny, I, I was kind of thinking of different illustrations or examples. And it's funny, when I first moved here, nobody knew me. I'm from Saskatchewan, and so I came here, I was this intern, and then I was church ministry coordinator, and I, I, most people only saw me on the Sunday morning, which is typical, right? Most of us only see each other on Sunday. And usually it's like, well, we're dressed up, we're in our church clothes, and, and as church ministry coordinator, I had you all fooled because you thought I was competent and you thought that I was professional. But then all of a sudden, I turned into the youth pastor and you all know, oh no, she likes to wear hoodies a lot and sometimes hats and likes to wear, you know, like just normal kicks, you know. Uh, so I kind of uh, tried to portray, yes, I'm professional and I, I still try to be that, you know. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit difficult, but uh, it was funny because about a couple years into being here and you guys still only knowing one aspect of me, um, at our church picnic, at one of our first church picnics, we were playing soccer, and I was playing soccer with the kids, and it would have been raining, like, for three days before, and I was praying. I was like, God, just stop the rain. And it stopped for the church picnic. It was a miracle. Like, it was honestly unbelievable, and I think it actually happens every year for the church picnic. But anyways, it was a mess, but we were playing soccer. I was wearing shorts, and I totally wiped out, like, just boom, like, on my back, sliding through the mud. So for the rest of the picnic, I had mud all up my back. And I remember chatting with Pastor Paul afterwards, and he's like, you were a riot out there. And I was thinking, you obviously don't know me very well, because this is how I always am, you know? And that's what I was thinking. And that's no slam against Pastor Paul. Like, not much time had taken place that he actually had gotten to know me in that aspect. I love adventure. I love having fun. And now you guys all know that because, well, I'm the youth pastor, right? But here's the thing. Sometimes we don't take the time to get to know other people. But even more, how much, how many times do we actually not take the opportunity to get to know Jesus even more? How many times do we just get comfortable in our relationship with Christ? And it's like, yep, I'm saved, check. But we forget that he's a person, and he's got depths to him. And there's so many layers to who Jesus is, and it takes time to discover who he is. we got to spend time with him to know who he is. So this morning, you know, I really want to dive into this question, who is Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? When I was, um, right before I came to Living Stones, I've been here for almost eight years now, so right before then, I spent three months in New Zealand, and I did an outdoor adventure, Cape and Ray. And Cape and Ray, it's all about just solidifying your relationship with Jesus. And I remember in that first week, sitting there, and they asked this reflective question to, to kind of go through your life and ask, how do I see Jesus? And they asked, do you see him as your Lord, as your friend, or as your Savior? Now, obviously, he's all of those things, but it was like a light bulb went off within me. And all of a sudden, I was realizing, wow, I only see Jesus or relate to Jesus as my Lord, as my master, as somebody to be obeyed, as somebody to honor and to please. But I didn't relate to him as my friend or as my savior. And as those, those months went by, God was peeling off the layers and showing me more of who he was. I fell deeply in love with my Savior, with my friend, Jesus. This morning, that's what I long for. I long that God would 
peel back more layers and show us more of who he is because he's good. And there's so much depth that we may not even understand or grasp yet. So how do you see him? How do you know him? Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him as your friend, as your Lord, or as your king, as faithful or trustworthy? Do you know him as sovereign? Do you know him as loving? Do you know him as a judge? Do you know him as a father? How do you know him? Can I challenge you today to get to know him more? To explore who Jesus is, actually, and answer the question, who is this? Because when we get to know Jesus in a greater way, it actually changes how we relate to him and how we describe him to other people. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 21, and it's Palm Sunday. So we're going to look at what Palm Sunday stood for and what Jesus is de- declaring through Palm Sunday and then what Matthew tries to, uh, to communicate through his gospel. So if you want to flip, we're in Matthew 21. And as you're flipping there, I'd love to look at a bit of background culturally as to the nation of Israel and what was going on when Jesus stepped on the scene. You know, Matthew, his gospel, I love how different writers have different emphasis because they're humans. They're, yes, God inspired and God wrote the word through people, but people's flavors come out in different themes. And so in Matthew, he's, he's writing to a bunch of Jews or mainly Jewish readers. And, and he's trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the king. So he's trying to show this, and the way he does that a lot is that he looks into the Old Testament, and he sees prophecies, and then he says, this is how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, or Son of David, and he is the King. So he's trying to show these things throughout the book of Matthew. And so the reason that Matthew is trying to show all of these things is because Israel had this deep longing as a nation for a king. For this Davidic king, you read through the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I know some people are like, I fall asleep during Numbers when there's all those lists. Yeah, but dig into it. It's amazing because God throughout the Old Testament has all of these promises with his people. You know, there's a promise to Abraham in the beginning part of Genesis. There's a promise then to, um, to Jacob and to his sons. And then there's this promise to Judah which is the kingly line in Genesis 49, when Jacob is blessing his sons and he, he blesses Judah and he says, you will be a lion. Huh, interesting. Why do we call Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah? Right? And then it talks about this ruler who will reign with this scepter and reign all of the nations. It talks about a donkey, interestingly enough. And it talks about this conqueror who would, who would it uses imagery of grapes and um, kind of like that blood, right, that it stains, but then also this purity, this white, um, whiteness as well. So read through Genesis 49. It's incredible. It's incredible. And this is one of the passages that I think Israel was longing for, but you keep going throughout history, and there's over and over and over that God is promising. You look in um, 1 Samuel 7 to David, And David was the ultimate king, right? In the Old Testament, everybody wanted another king like David to return. And you read in 1 Samuel 7 and 2 Chronicles 7 that God promised that there would be a Davidic ruler. There would be a Davidic king who would come and reign. But where was the nation of Israel at? 
600 years before this, before Jesus walked on the scene, they went into exile. And they were under oppression. They were in Babylon. And then they were transferred over to the Medes and the Persians. And later on, right now, during, um, during Jesus' living time, under the Roman rule. And so they're looking, they're like, where's our Davidic king? God, you promised this in the Old Testament multiple times. But where are you? And so Matthew, he quotes some stuff trying to show that Jesus is the king. He is the Messiah that the nation had been longing for. So this is a little bit of background. And then when we jump into our passage, if we look at a little bit of background on this passage, then we'll see a couple chapters before this. Jesus is uh, he's east of the Jordan River. He's in Perea, and he's teaching and he's preaching there. And then either in Perea or Jericho, which is about 15 miles from Jerusalem, uh, he gets word, we read in John's Gospel, that... Lazarus, his friend, is ill, and he should come. And Jesus, we know, he stays there for two more days. And then finally he says, okay, let's go to Jerusalem, or to Bethany. That's where Lazarus was from, and that's two miles from Jerusalem. So really close, to, close together. And his disciples are saying, no, Jesus, why would you want to go back to Jerusalem? The last time you were there, they wanted to kill you. And you want to go back? I don't think that's a good idea. And Jesus, though, he's like, no, we're going. And what does Thomas say? Thomas says, well, let us go and let us die with him. So this is a very interesting moment when Jesus is coming to Bethany. He heals Lazarus, raises him from the dead. And then we read in John's gospel that Jesus was anointed. His feet were anointed with, uh, with oil by Mary. And then we don't hear much else. Maybe Jesus was in Bethany for a couple days. And then he says, okay, it's time to go to Jerusalem. And Bethpage is in between Bethany and Jerusalem. So within those two miles on the Mount of Olives, you can see Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Look down on Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And so here's Jesus in verse 1. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So Jesus, he calls, he tells his disciples he's going into Jerusalem to start to reveal who he is in an evident way. And he says, go get the, go get this donkey. Well, have you ever wondered why did Jesus choose a donkey? Why would, why would he ask for a donkey? Aren't they stubborn? Aren't they like... This beast of burden, that's actually what, they, what they're mentioned as um, in other translations or in old, uh, old writings and stuff. This beast of burden, why would Jesus ask for a donkey? We were kind of joking, and it's like, oh yeah, Palm Sunday. If you have been in the church for any amount of time, you have heard sermons on Palm Sunday. It's every year, you know? And, and we all know that it's a donkey, or we can joke, well, well, it was a camel, or it was something, right? Like, he chose an animal. But why did he choose a donkey? Well, Matthew brings this out, and it says in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And Matthew starts to pull from two different prophets in the Old Testament to show how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy, showing that he was king. And, and it says, say to the daughter of Zion, and that actually comes from Isaiah 62, verse 11. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. 
interesting, though, as to what Matthew picks out to quote and what he doesn't pick. See, Jesus did bring salvation, but why didn't he quote that part? Say to the daughter of Zion. And then what does he quote? He moves on to Zechariah 9, 9, and he says, um, your, See, your king comes to you. That's what he quotes in Matthew. But why does he leave out, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, which kind of goes along with it. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. And then jumps to gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why did Matthew pull out some things and leave out other things? Why didn't he mention the salvation part? Here comes your king, your savior. Righteous and having salvation. Why didn't Matthew actually quote that? Why did he only mention your king comes and he's gentle? And I think the reason is, is because Jesus was very specific in wanting a donkey. Obviously to fulfill this passage, but even more so to show the kind of king that he would be and is. See, Jesus didn't ride in like every other conquering king on his noble steed and and on his chariot and ride throughout the city on the streets in victory. No, Jesus came humble. He came gentle. He came on a donkey to say, I'm not the conquering king that you think I am. I'm actually this king of peace, the prince of peace. This king who comes in humbleness and gentleness. I'm the servant king. You know, it's interesting because at this time, like I've already said, the political tension was intense. And right before this, like, this is the weekend before Passover. So, like, Pastor Paul already brought out, there were tons of pilgrims coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. It would have been packed, and it would have been the prime opportunity for a revolutionary uprising. It would have been prime to make Jesus king and to overthrow the Romans. They would have had numbers. They would have had the excitement that takes, a, takes place in that mob or group mentality, right? They were expecting this. They were longing for this. You know, it's funny. I don't know if any of you were here when Pastor Paul was doing a series on Mark, but I started thinking, you know, Jesus had, like, they already tried to make Jesus king in a sense. Like when Pastor Paul preached on feeding of the 5,000, and, and he brought out this idea of why were there 5,000 men not working? In this obscure location in Israel, listening to Jesus teach, why were they there? Probably because they wanted to make him king. It's perfect to start up this revolution that they were longing for, that they were expecting. And what do we read in Mark? We read that Mark sent them away and he got his disciples into a boat and Jesus went and prayed. And Pastor Paul brought out this idea that maybe Jesus went alone to pray, to ask and to pray and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. It's not by military power that I've come, but it's by humbleness, humility. It's by gentleness. It's by giving my life rather than taking lives. Jesus chose a donkey to show I'm the humble king. I'm not this victorious warrior that you were expecting. I'm not what you think I am. Instead, I'm humble. And this is how I come to you. 
And so that's what Matthew highlights in the passages that he quotes. He leaves out that aspect to really highlight the fact that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is our King, but not that conqueror like we want, rather that humble King. It's funny, as you keep reading, you see that the crowd responds to Jesus and they see this act as a kingly act, which it is. You know, like the only other time that you read in scripture about a, um, a king riding in on a donkey is Solomon, which was in a, in a time of peace. You know, and that's about the only time that a king would ride in in a donkey is in a time of peace. Well, obviously the Israelites, the Jews, were not in a time of peace. They were still being overruled by the Romans. And so, once again, Jesus chooses a donkey to show the kind of king that he is. But the, the people, they, the crowd, they pick up on the fact that this is a kingly act. And so we, we want to respond to him as king. And so we read, if you start to read that... Um, the disciples took off their clothes and they threw them on the donkey in the full. And, and then Jesus sat on the colt who had never been ridden. And, and everybody who was around would have noticed because they're really good with scriptures. Those Jews, unlike us, sometimes were like, why a donkey? Why coats? Why are they throwing their coats on the ground? What's going on? But they would have understood, whoa, this is significant. This reminds me of something that I've read about many times and learned about in scriptures. And that it has to do with um, Jehu. When Jehu was anointed as king of Israel and all of his buddies laid down their cloaks before him and said, Hail, King Jehu. Jehu is king. And so they saw the disciples, the, gra- the crowd saw the disciples laying down their cloaks and they say, we got to do this too. This is our king. And not only do they lay down their cloaks, but then they start crying out. And it says that they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's funny. Hosanna literally means save us now. God save us. And this is quoted. Once again, they're smart with their scriptures. And they know that this is from Psalm 118. And Psalm 118, I have it up there behind me. And you can see that they're quoting that. And even the, oh Lord, save us. Hosanna, right? Hosanna. Oh Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is one of the psalms or songs that was sung around Passover time, which it was Passover time. And they would sing this. And what this psalm is all about is about Yahweh coming to save his people and delivering them from their enemies. It's probably around Passover because that's when they celebrated how God delivered them from the Egyptians. And they came out in the Exodus. And so they would sing this in anticipation when God would do it again. And so here they cry out, Hosanna, God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One commentator says that the reason they were saying this, or what is literally behind this in a sense, is that they're crying out, Jesus is our king. God save the king. That's what they were saying through these cries. God save the king. They were acknowledging Jesus as king as he rode in on a donkey. They were laying their cloaks before him, and they were shouting, Hosanna, And even more, then there's branches, palm branches. Why palm branches? It's funny, in the same psalm, Psalm 118, a couple of verses later, it says, with bows in hand, let us join the festal procession to the horns of the altar. They are quick. They know what's going on. Jesus is the king. 
So we got to honor him as king. Let's put our cloaks down. Let's cry out Hosanna. And let's grab palm branches and put them down. You know, it's funny. When I was young in the church that I grew up in, all of us kids on Palm Sunday, I just remember this. We'd all line out outside of the sanctuary and we'd all have palm branches. And during one song, we'd all come in waving them and like shouting Hosanna. I don't think I had a clue what it actually meant. Um, But it stuck with me. You know, sometimes I wonder about these same people, though. They don't have an actual clue as to what they were doing. They were proclaiming him as king through their actions and through their words, but they didn't get it. They didn't get who Jesus was. They didn't fully understand. You know, this whole scenario points to the fact that Jesus is the Davidic king, but they completely misunderstood the point. They didn't understand what kind of king he was. They just had their expectations. They didn't understand what kind of salvation he would bring. They didn't want a humble king. They wanted a warrior, a conquering king. And it's funny because their misunderstanding of who Jesus was is totally blatant in the next two verses. Their facade shows itself when they're asked, who is this? You know, if you keep reading in verse 10, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And I've got to stop there for a second because one of the commentators was like, you know what? Stirred is way too weak of a word. This word in Greek is actually used of earthquakes or an apocalyptic upheaval, like a big deal. This was a commotion. Everybody was everywhere. Everybody knew what was going on. They were coming out. They were curious. What's happening? It's funny, uh, this past week, I watched a quick YouTube video of this. It's a crazy video because um, (laughs) it's the shot of the street and this car is driving and it's struck by lightning and you see it it's caught on video and it's crazy but there's like nobody on the street beforehand obviously the car stops when it gets struck and all of these people start piling out of the car but then all of these other people start rushing into the street and you're thinking where are all these people coming from it was empty before that and then within like five seconds it is packed full of people. And it was from the Middle East that this, this took place. And it's funny because in Red Deer, we don't have that same experience, really. We don't know what it's like when, when people pack the streets because they're curious as to what's going on. We don't even know who's driving into our city most times, right? Like, we, we just don't hear about it. Here, this is a massive commotion. It's like a rumbling, like an earthquake that everybody knows something's going on. And so the whole city was stirred, and they come out, and they ask this question, who is this? Who is this that's riding in on a donkey? Why are you guys shouting Hosanna? Why are you putting your palm branches down? Why are you, why are you carrying on? What's going on? And then it says in verse 11, and this is where we see that the crowd really had no idea as to who Jesus was, because they answer says that the crowds answered, this is Jesus, right? They got the right name, so we'll give them that. But it says, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I, maybe you've never noticed this. It struck me like a ton of bricks this past week. Really? 
Your entire, all of your words, your actions are declaring him as king. But when you're asked about him, you say he's just a prophet. And from Nazareth. Yes, Jesus was from Nazareth. But we read in the scriptures that people were like, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's obscure. It's nothing. The crowds didn't get who Jesus was. They didn't really understand who he was. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes, he was a prophet. And in Deuteronomy, you read in chapter 18 that God promised that a prophet would come again like Moses, who did miraculous signs and wonders and spoke the word of God. And then in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, you read that no prophet had risen like Moses yet, who knew God face to face and who spoke his words and who did miraculous signs and wonders. Jesus showed up and he was that prophet. But that's not all he was. He was the king, the humble king. But they look at him, they're proclaiming this through the words and actions, and yet they're not even getting it. They're not even believing it themselves. Because when they're asked about it, they say, he's the prophet. They couldn't even acknowledge him as king. Did they really know him? Here's the thing. When we don't really know who Jesus is, it can actually lead to destruction. Because this entire crowd, the same crowd that declared him through their actions and words, saying Hosanna, saying that he was the king, five days later crucified him. Five days later, instead of yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, they yelled out, crucify him. Why? Maybe because he didn't do what they wanted, or maybe because he wasn't the king that they were expecting. They didn't know Jesus, and they crucified him. Destruction came to God. They killed God. When we don't know who Jesus is, destruction comes. And how many times throughout history have Christians in God's name done horrific things? Did they really know Jesus? Or even us? As Christians, how many times do we spew hatred towards people who uh, are from a different race, a different culture, a different religious background, and don't match up with our Christian values and beliefs, and we spew this hatred? How many times do we do that against subcultures in in our city, even? You know, if we really knew Jesus, maybe we would know who he was and what he taught. And then he said, all the law and prophets are summed up in this love God and love others. I'm not saying that all of those things that are happening in our world today are right. But I'm thinking, if we know Jesus, what was his answer? Love. Jesus didn't come as a conquering king. He didn't come with hatred. He didn't come with war. No, Jesus came humble. He came as that gentle, humble servant king. He came as the prince of peace. It's interesting, too, because destruction doesn't just come through us when we don't need, know Jesus, but to us. In Luke's gospel, when after the triumphal entry, Luke records this part where Jesus is looking at the city with tears in his eyes, and he says, If you, even you, had known that on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground. You and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because 
you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And that took place in 70 AD. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't grasp the fullness of who he was. And destruction came. When we don't know Jesus, that's where the path leads. So how about you today? Who do you actually say Jesus is? Do you know him? Do you know him? You know, we get the benefit, a way greater benefit than that crowd did. Because that crowd, it was before Good Friday. It was before Easter Sunday when they saw Jesus rise back from the dead. They crucified him. But I wonder how many people in this crowd actually had a Peter experience when Jesus rose from the dead. And all of a sudden they weep and they say, I got it all wrong. I'm sorry, God. And God gives them another chance. Jesus restores them. I wonder how many people in this crowd cried out Hosanna and then five days later said, crucify him. And then later when Jesus rose again, they say, wow, I I totally misunderstood. God, you're our king, but you're not the conquering king that I thought. You're the humble king. You're the prince of peace. You know, most Jews, it seems like they didn't grasp uh, what Isaiah 53 said about the suffering servant. They didn't expect a king who would die for them. They didn't expect that the priest, the great high priest, which it had been promised to, to Phineas and to Levi, that there would be a priest that would go on forever. They didn't expect that the priest and the king would be the same person. And yet it was in Jesus when he gave his life as the sacrificial lamb. And that's what we celebrate on Good Friday. Jesus died for me. He died for you. See, Jesus, he is so much more than what we think. And it will take a lifetime and eternity to get to know him. Because who is he? He's our great high priest who made payment for me. He is our prophet. Yes, he fulfilled that prophetic duty. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the conquering King who conquered sin and death when he died and he rose again. And he will be that conquering King again when he returns on his white steed. And he, uh, yeah, I, I can't even put it into words. Our God is coming back. Jesus is alive and he's coming back. I think that day we will cry out with full understanding of who Jesus is. We get the benefit to actually walk out in that fullness now, though. We know the end of the story. We get to walk out in that, knowing who Jesus is and getting to know him more every day. So my question again is, do you know him? Do you know who Jesus is? And if you don't, I want to extend an invitation to you today. You can get to know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Savior, our great high priest, who paid the penalty for sin and death with his own life. You can get to know him today. And if you do know him, can I challenge you? Get to know him more. Spend time this week preparing your heart for what this week actually means. You know, down in Mexico, the YWAM staff did a a passion play, a reenactment. And it rocked me. 
You know, I've grown up in the church. I knew that Jesus died on the cross. I knew that they beat him. But to watch this reenacted before me and to watch his ministry even as they reenacted that when Jesus with his great passion and he sees this woman come in with her dead son in despair and he sees that and his heart breaks and then he heals this dead child and this child comes back to life and the excitement that Jesus had. All of a sudden I was like, God, I don't even know you. I'm sorry. When I watched this reenactment of Jesus being whipped and beaten and die on a cross, I was convicted. Because how many times have I just mindlessly thought about it or not even thought about it or taken away the significance of what Jesus did? He brought me to a greater understanding of who he is, but I don't want to stop here. I want to keep knowing my Lord and my Savior. I want to keep pursuing that relationship. So can I challenge you guys, if you know him, spend time with him every day. Spend time with your Savior, with your friend, with your Lord. Get to know him. Study the scripture, research all of the different prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, because it's amazing. It is mind-blowing when you start to research who Jesus is. Get to know him in a greater way. Because if you do, then you can live out of that fullness every day of who Jesus is. He is victorious. He is our savior. And can you imagine, imagine with me for a second, if every person in this room lived out of that place, knowing Jesus to a greater extent, you know, I think we would actually start to worship in spirit and truth. Unlike this crowd that cried out Hosanna without understanding who Jesus is, we would cry out Hosanna. We would praise our God and it would be in truth. We would understand it and it wouldn't be quiet. And I think the people around us would start to take, take note and start to ask us, who is this that you worship? And we can say, this is Jesus. The Messiah, the King, the Savior, our friend. You can get to know him. So I'll ask the worship team to come. And we're going to close the service. And if everybody would stand with me, that would be awesome. And I want to give you guys the opportunity. With every head bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus today, he wants to get to know you. And if you don't know him and you're saying, I really want to get to know him, you can today. You can. So with every eye closed, that kind of thing, if you want to know Jesus as your savior, as your friend, as your Lord, if that's you, I'd ask if you could just raise your hand. I'm just going to lead you awesome. I'm going to lead you in a quick prayer. Amen. So if you want to repeat after me, we're just going to pray. Jesus, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. But I thank you that you came and died on a cross. And I believe that you did that for me. Thank you for washing my sins away. That I can be a new creation. And I welcome you into my life. Jesus, we love you. Amen.
maybe there's others of you. And those of you who responded, I really want to encourage you either fill out a card and say that you accepted Jesus today or go to the guest reception. Just don't leave without telling somebody, okay? Um, And for the rest of you today, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I need a fresh revelation of Jesus. If that's you today, I want to pray that we would have a fresh revelation of Jesus. Anybody here today? Any hands? I see a couple hands. <laughs> I see a, just a couple. No, it's awesome. Okay, I'm going to pray because I believe that God has something incredible in store for us. So, Lord, we welcome you here. God, we don't want to be comfortable in our relationship with you. We don't want to stay where, where we are at. So, God, I pray that you would push us out of our comfort zone. And, Lord, that we would have eyes to see who you are. Lord, I pray for fresh revelation for everybody in the sanctuary, that you would minister to them, the Holy Spirit, that you would fall upon them, and that you would show each one of us a new revelation of who you are, Jesus. God, I pray that this Easter would be a profound season, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, but that we would know without a doubt our God saves, our God is good. Lord, I pray that you would put a passion and a deep longing in each person to spend time with you and to get to know you more. More today, more tomorrow, and years to come. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Go in peace and get excited about what Jesus did and who he is.